Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. called why do we church question mark why do we church and um, I think it's important to constantly remind yourself why do you church amen what is the importance of attending and being connected to the church as an organization now I don't really like using that word organization but uh, I, I would prefer more organism because how many know the church is alive? It's a living thing, right? It's the bride of Christ, and we're going to get into that more. But a lot of times, you know, especially here recently, and I will talk about that because it is correct to say that we don't go to church, but we are the church. But at the same time, I'm asking the question, why is it important that we go to church, that we go to the place where the local body meets? What is the importance of your participation in the programs and the services at the local church. Here's my main point. Being involved in the local church shouldn't be about consumption only. Being a part of the local church should not be about consumption only. Being involved in the local church is also and should be also a vital connection to your life as a believer. Amen? Going, going to the local church, being connected and participating in the local church shouldn't just be about consumption, but it should be about a vital connection to your life as a believer. It's not just about consumption, it's about connection. Let's say that. Say it's not about consumption only. It's about connection. Amen? Let's go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We're going to read out of here. We're going to be mainly here today. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And if you're listening online today, or when you re-listen to this message, if you were not here during this service present, then please do not take this as condemnation, because a lot of times people will preach this, this uh, series of scriptures when they're upset that their church is not full, and that is not my purpose today, and I don't think it should be, the, the, a fear tactic should not be the reason why, uh, why we do or do not go to church. But let's, let's pick up in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. The 19th verse, and we're going to read through uh, verses uh, 25, 26, somewhere around in there. But Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day do you think we're seeing approaching? 
the day that Jesus returns for his church, right? So he says right here, and of course, I'm sure every person has heard a variation of a message that has been preached off of this scripture, and probably most of them very condemning and, and uh, see there, if you're not going to church, you're a bad person and this, that, and the other. But I, I, just, I, wanna, I just wanna come from a different aspect this morning and showing you that, that the Apostle Paul was talking to a group of people in the Hebrews. I believe the Apostle Paul wrote this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people that believe somebody else wrote it, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's in the Bible, right? God wrote it, ultimately. And so um, if, you're, if you're looking at the background history or why this book was written to this group of, pe of people, it's because it was a group of people who had gotten saved. They had come out of the Old Testament way of doing things where there was a priesthood, where there was animal sacrifices, where there were all these things, and they had come out of, of, of this and they begun to serve Jesus, and they begun to serve Jesus with a relationship and all these things. And some time passed, and they began to realize that maybe it was a little bit easier if I just went and paid uh, my sacrifice. I went and brought my animal, let the priest sacrifice, go to God for me. I go about my life, and, and what I do is I just adhere to uh, the Jewish, um, all the festivals and all the sacrifices, and it was all very, very works-related and they're having a, con a confusing time understanding that the gospel is not about the works that we do, but it's about the work that Jesus did. Whereas before, their right standing with God, or we could say righteousness with God, came through whether or not they made all the right sacrifices or not. Well, in the New Testament, the Bible says that, that Jesus has brought about a new and better covenant, and that new and better covenant is established on his blood, not the blood of bulls and calves and all the sacrifices, but on his blood. And he says, I'm offering this sacrifice to you freely so that you can be in eternal right standing with God. And we all understand and probably know that, especially if you, you, you should know that if you are saved in this place today, that should have been taught to you. But what these people are having trouble with is they're saying, you know what? Uh, sometimes it's a little awkward to have a relationship with a God that I cannot see. Amen? And I don't really know sometimes if he's happy with me or if he's not happy with me. But I knew back in the day when me and dad and mom and the family and everybody, we went up to the temple and we brought our, our first fruits or we, we brought our cattle, we brought our goats. We, brought, we knew because the priest told us, if you bring this, this, and this on this certain day, we'll sacrifice it for you and, it's, and you're all good. They're wanting to go back to that. And so the Apostle Paul is teaching them about the importance of what they are now and, and basically, he tells me, he goes, and, and furthermore, you can't even go back to that because it's passed away. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't matter if you go and sacrifice again or anything like that. It doesn't work with God anymore. Why? Because he took, he took the sacrifice that Jesus made, that one sacrifice for all mankind. And there's not now, the Bible says, there's not now a sacrifice to be made. He's not pleased with sacrifices being made anymore because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. And actually... Paul says in Hebrews here, when we do, when we do try to offer up sacrifices to pay for our bad behavior, Paul says that you are um, trampling the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant a common thing. Meaning, what you felt like Jesus' blood wasn't enough, so you had to do something. How many know it's a freeing thing to understand that God, through Jesus, did everything necessary to make me in right standing with God? Amen? And so this is the struggle that's going on here. 
And um, so in there, he says, let's back up to verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What was that confession? That confession is Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, right? He says, so let us hold fast um, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he goes on, he says, and let us consider one another. Because of this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. So my first point is this, worship as we know it was somewhat, or, or was foreign to Old Testament believers. Worship as we know it, what we just did, that's completely foreign. That was completely foreign to the Old Testament. Now there was a few people. Like David, David was a special person. David was like, a, like a, a, a foreshadowing of the New Testament, what the New Testament believer would be able to do. Nobody else was doing what David was doing. David was out in, in the field all by himself. He was inventing instruments like the guitar and different things like that. He's out there and he's figuring out chords. He's figuring out what, what goes good together. He's singing all these psalms, our songs. We, we, all the psalms are pretty much all the psalms are David's. He's out there writing songs to the Lord. Nobody was doing that. Not like that. And God looks down on David and he says, this is a man after my heart. How many know David had some problems? But one problem David didn't have is he didn't have a problem chasing after God's heart with worship. Amen? That's why when Jesus was confronted by the woman at the well, then she asked, she said, listen, your people, the Jews, say that you've got to worship in the synagogue or in the temple. He said, but my, she said, my people, she was Samaritan. And so she said, but my people say that we worship on the mountain, which, which is true. And of course, Jesus said, you don't even know who you worship. But there's coming a day when God will be looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and they worship in truth. And it's not about where you're worshiping, but it's about who you're worshiping. Amen. And so, but this type of worship was foreign. That's why she was confused by this. And all these other people were, were, were somewhat confused by it too. The author of Hebrews has established Jesus as our high priest in verse 21 that we just read. We have, con, uh, we have confidence in our relationship with God through Jesus. We can commune with God one-on-one, -on -one, verses 19 through 22. This was absolutely kind of mind-blowing for the Jewish people. Prior to Jesus, communing with God happened most often through an appointed priest. That's how they heard from God. That's how they commune with God. Some people still think that you have to have a priest to talk to God. I'm here to tell you, you can talk to God just as much as I can talk to God. You don't have to come through me to talk to God. Amen? I'm a pastor. I'm in the five-fold ministry. I am not a priest as far as the classic Old Testament version of priest. I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. That, there's a huge difference in that. A priest was someone who was appointed by God and by the priesthood to go to God for you. I can pray for you. I can anoint you. The Bible actually says when you're sick, you can come to the elders and have, have them uh, anoint you. But that's more about uh, joining together with you in the prayer of faith. 
than it is that I have some special connection to God that you don't have. Where the Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is also. Where two should agree is touching anything, whatever they say they have, they have, right? Or two, two should agree is touching anything, whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever they loose on earth will be loose in heaven, Right? That's not, that didn't say we're a person and a pastor or a person in a powerful ministry. It just said we're two believers agree. Amen? We're two believers agree. Now, I understand I have my place and you have your place. And, and, and this all, but, but the thing that was throwing them is they wanted priests to go to God for them because how many of you know that every single day we run into something in our life that we're not exactly happy with ourselves about? And we don't, the last place we want to go is to a holy God because we know we got issues. How many got issues? Right here. Let me see if I'm in the right place. A couple of perfect ones. I'll, I'll preach you imperfect here in just a minute. Now, I mean, think about this. We've got the, we've got the dad's mad theory in our head when we go to God. Right? How many of you messed up when you were a kid? And you tried to fix it, and you're just hoping that dad did, is not going to find out. How many of you know dads see things that you don't see? Like, I can walk in and go, wait a minute. Who did that? You know? We've got that theory when it comes to God. Here's the greatest thing about your salvation. The buffer between your imperfection and God's perfection. Catch this. The buffer between your imperfection and God's perfection is Jesus' sacrifice in his blood. It doesn't mean that God doesn't see what you do. It doesn't mean that God uh, uh, wants you to be participating in things that will harm you or harm other people that go against his word or anything like that. He's, he's putting all these things in, in, into his word so that he can keep us in a place of blessing, so that he can keep us in a place of prosperity, so he can keep us in a place of doing what he's called us to do. He's put all those things in there for that, not to slap you down every time you do something wrong. He's not setting these things up so that he can just knock you down. He knows that you're not going to measure up. That's why he sent Jesus to measure up for you. And the buffer between your imperfection and God's perfection is Jesus Christ. And when we come to God, let's go back and read this. This is what, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Where do I get my boldness to come before a holy God? Who do I think I am to come in? Well, anybody ever seen somebody come into a room bold? How do you come into a room bold? Well, it's not mousy. You in there? Now, I just picture this. With all my imperfections and all my problems, just if I was to come in those back doors and go, I'm here! Here I am, God! Isn't that what it says? Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So it's not by my, my might. It's not by my power. It's not by my good deeds. It's not by who I am, but it's by who I am in Christ. Let's read it again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest 
by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is, the veil, he says, I said veil, but he said, um, what I mean is, the veil was his flesh, meaning his flesh was torn for you. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. One of the biggest tricks the devil's ever played on the Christian is to constantly make you feel like you're a complete and utter failure and disappointment to God. But right here, the blood of Jesus not only gives us access to God, but the blood of Jesus can actually sprinkle our conscience and wash our conscience from, from evil, from feeling evil. How many of you would be honest with me today and say, over my period, over my lifetime, I have done at least one or two things that were just evil? I thought something, I did something, I said something. It was just evil. How many of you have ever done something that, that, that every once in a while, we say it like this, it just kind of haunts us? Well, that's a great terminology. Because how many of you know the deceiver is behind the haunting? And Jesus has washed you clean. Jesus has put all that. The Bible says he throws your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. About the time you think the east is going to touch the west, it turns west. It doesn't touch. He says he forgives you of your iniquities and he remembers them no more. How can a God that has never forgotten anything, nor does he not know everything that will happen, how does a God like that forget something I did when I can't even forget what I did? The simple answer is he chooses to because he says it in his word, I'll remember your iniquities no more. I'm choosing to forget that. I'm choosing to see you in the perfectness and the preciousness of the blood of my son, Jesus. I'm choosing. So this, because Paul's trying to get these people to understand this. And the reason why he wants them to understand this is because he wants them to know that when it comes to coming to the house of God, when it comes to coming into the presence of God, I don't want you coming under all that guilt and shame and condemnation. Yeah, you messed up that week. But the worst thing for you to do is to remove yourself and go find somebody that will go to God for you because Jesus paved a way for you to go to God yourself. And he's not there to condemn you and he's not there to whack you over the head. He's there to heal you. He's there to restore you. He's there to bring you back into a place of right standing with him that you never really lost, but your mind thinks you lost it, your heart thinks you lost it, your soul thinks you lost it, and God is there to bring you in there and to comfort you and say, I know you messed up, but I'm not going to remember it no more. And when you walk out of this place, I don't want you to dwell on it either because yesterday was yesterday and past mistakes were past mistakes, but today is today and I've got a plan for you. My plan hasn't changed for you just because you messed up. But see, religious people don't want to hear that because they want, they want you to, to, you know, all the people that they have, that have done them wrong and they see do wrong, they want them damned to hell. Be careful what you want for someone else because the Bible says you better not judge lest you be judged. Amen? If you want somebody from making a mistake to be damned to hell, then guess what? 
you ought to be damned to hell for your mistakes. And I'm not saying that just to get a rise out of using that language. That is terminology. Damned to hell. Not in a curse word, not in a slang term. But you ever thought about that's really what you want for your enemies? For people who have done you wrong? For people you don't see eye to eye with? Oh, we don't say that necessarily unless somebody really does this wrong. But we might say there's a special place in hell for that person. Hmm. I would venture to say that if you have ever thought that for someone, a specific person, you are in straight up in line with the devil thinking. That's what Satan wants. Matter of fact, Satan wants you damned to hell. That's what Satan wants. Are you hearing me? When you want that for somebody, that's what Satan wants for that person and for you. Does God want that for that person? Is that God's plan for that person? No, God wants redemption. God wants restoration. And he actually tells the church that he's given us as the church the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of damnation. There's lots of Christians and there's or people tiling around being Christians in churches with Jesus' name on the front of it that they don't have a ministry of reconciliation. They have a ministry of damnation. And I believe in telling people the truth But the truth is, no matter what sin is in your life, if you're not saved, you're going to hell. That's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. It doesn't matter. I know nobody could ever do this, but let's just pretend for one second that someone lived 99 and a half years And they only committed one sin. And that one sin was they kind of told a little white lie. Guess what? It's enough. It's enough. Oh, God wouldn't be that. No, he is that righteous. Make no mistake about it. God is that righteous. If you don't believe me, go back and, and read the original sin. For goodness sakes, all they did was eat something they were not supposed to. And you say, you know, if I was Adam or if I was Eve, I'd have never done it. You're a lie. Because how many times has your wife said, don't eat these cookies, therefore something else? You'd have ate it just the same. At, at, the, at the core of that sin that was so great that it plunged the entire world into hell was simple disobedience. Disobeying God's word and Eve being tricked of the enemy, tricked of Satan. But God told Adam, he said, your mistake was you believe the word of your wife over me. That's what he told Adam. Now, I won't, use, I won't use the terminology wife because I don't want to start any civil wars. 
But how many times in your life have you believed or agreed or went along with someone else's word even though you knew what the word of God said? So we've got to think about how all this was, was super new to these people. They didn't understand how we understand getting in the presence of God, coming into this place. They, they've not lived in thousands of years of, of, of God's grace, unmerited favor. You do realize that even though we've had some pretty terrible things that have gone on over the last 2,000 years, but one thing that we have had a constant of, sometimes it's been more than others, but we've had a constant of there being thousands, if not millions, of houses of worship and people of God that are praying, that are getting into the presence of God, that are opening up like we open up this morning and, and we're worshiping with you. You can actually sense the presence of God. These people weren't able to sense other than the high priest that got to go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. They were not able to do that. So this was completely new. This was mind-blowing for the Jewish people. Prior to Jesus, communion with God happened most often through an appointed priest. Corporate worship happened only a few times a year through festivals and feasts. For Israel, corporate worship was a special few times a year occasion. It wasn't like what we did this morning. Worship understood, this was what worship was understood as. Exclusive devotion to the Lord. And this was something that Israelites were called to practice around the clock. Kind of go back and read some of what they're expecting. This was, this was an example of worship back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 16. It says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. And shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who, you, uh, who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good of the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. That was a worship service. Listen, if you don't obey God and we do these things that God says, he is going to wipe us from the face of the earth. So Moses is like, for, for goodness sake, don't build any more cows to worship, all right? Go and do what's right so God doesn't have to come down here and wipe us off the face of the earth. Just be good. That was a worship service. In the sense of having intimate access to God's presence, worship was restricted to specific people, specific places, and times. God dwelled among his people, yes, but the presence was restricted to the tabernacle and guarded by the priests. Even, even the tabernacle, the holiest of holies, it was even a tense place. And you, you guys probably think you've been to some tense worship services or some tense church services. But literally, they would take the high priest and they would tie a rope to him and they would tie bells to him and he would go in and he had to do everything if he did not do everything perfect, God's righteousness would strike his imperfection and he would die right there. 
So if the high priest got into the presence of God and they didn't hear his little bells jingling, they knew he had messed up. And they would drag him out and they would tie another one on and they'd send him back in there. Do you see the difference when Jesus came and tore down that veil and became the veil himself, his blood, where we get to come into a place like this on Sunday morning and as a corporate body get to worship him without fear of dropping dead because of our imperfections. Because let me tell you, we might not have made it past the front door. How about you? I might not have made it past the front door this morning. But thank God for his mercy and his grace towards us. So, why do we church? We church to worship God together in that corporate anointing. If there was ever a time in recent history where we got to experience the effects of the church being deprived of the power of corporate times of worship, I think it was in the last three years. Listen, we're still seeing the effects of that deficiency developing almost daily. I'm still seeing the effects of us not being able to meet for that time frame. Now, we weren't, this church wasn't shut down as long as a lot of other churches, but in my friends, in ministry friends, in different relationships, in different people, I am still, I told Christy the other day, I said, never in my life, in all the years that I've, even if I, when I wasn't serving God, but on all the times that I've known something about Christian people, people who went to church and people, I've never seen the amount of people turning their back on God and becoming what, I don't know, I don't know if they're just in this, in this place of, of just non-Christian Christians. I don't know. There's a new term that's called the atheistic Christian, which is complete, weird, and, and misnomer. But it's people who, who they're so completely confused about what they know about God. And, and I told her, I was, I was thinking the other day, I said, I said, what has happened? Because it's not like one person. It's not two people. It's lots of people, people that I know, that I've known for years. What is going on? And then it hit me. I told her, I said, you know what it is? I said, it, it's the delayed effect of us not being able to be together every single week. We don't realize the importance of what it means to gather in the presence of God at least once, preferably twice a week. We don't realize the strength that we draw from that. We don't realize the little things that it keeps us from endeavoring in. But when we're left to our own devices and we're all islands out here and we're all just figuring things out and, 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 and we're, we're, we're left without our strength, without our body, without the rest of the members of our body, I'm telling you, we are seeing the delayed reactions and the delayed effects of that, you know, sometimes some people, you know, laid out for a year, year and a half, two years. We're seeing those delayed effects on that. We have to realize the beauty of being able to draw near to God through Christ, never taking it for granted. Hebrews 10, 23 calls us to hold fast, drawing near to God through Christ as a way we persevere. We hold fast when we are close to God and when, uh, when we are close to one another. When we stir up one another to love and good works, that's the importance of being around each other. Stirring up, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to stir you up to love and good works through the word of God, through preaching and teaching and prayer and praise and worship. Stir you up to good works. Verse 24, um, listen, 
It's, let, let's, let's read verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And, as, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Listen. What we do coming together is not for ritual or just Christian activity. You know, a long time ago, I'm not saying everybody falls in this category, but a long time ago, I started kind of seeing how some people's mindset about coming to church almost fell in two categories. One is the very loosely connected where they almost go to church like they would go to the movies. Y'all, are we going to the movies this weekend? Yeah, I guess so. Let's go watch it. Let's go watch the movie. And we go to the movies. You know, that's kind of few and far between. Other people kind of fell into the Christian hobby. You know, like some people, you know, play softball, play baseball. You know, they, they fish, they hunt, they whatever. And so the weekend is their hobby. It's their time for their hobby. And I started seeing like a lot of Christians go to church and it's like they're, they're church hobbyists. It's like, that's just what I do. I'm a church person for my weekend hobby. That's my hobby. But how many you know, what we're doing here is not for ritualistic me, uh, uh, reasons, and it's not just for Christian activity, but it's to align our hearts to express our love and our affection together as one body to our head, which is Jesus Christ, magnifying him above all and recognizing him as the source of us, his body. And this is why we gather together, why we gather together is so important for coming to not only worship him and magnify him and glorify him, but for him to empower us as his body. Amen? If we neglect being with one another, we miss out on a vital part of our faith life. Acts 13, I used to quote this a lot, but uh, they were all gathered together. Now this is after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and, and, and Paul has been converted from Saul. And they're all together, and they're in that corporate worship service, and they're, they're praying, and they're, and they're worshiping together. And the Bible says, as they prayed, and as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke. Now, what did the Holy Spirit say? Well, he said something specific for that congregation and for those people in there. What did he say? He said, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work of the ministry. So he called out two people. Listen, wouldn't it have been weird if Barnabas and Paul had not been there that day? Holy Spirit, we worshiped and we prayed and we, we feel like you have something to say. Well, I do, but the people that I need to say it to aren't here. It's important for us to be together because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. One of the saddest things that I've ever heard a minister say, this was an actual minister of a church, and, uh, I, and I've heard lots of people say it. But I've heard people say, if a man or a person or a pastor, somebody says God spoke to them and they weren't reading out of the Bible, that man is a liar. What they're saying is the only way God speaks to his people is only by reading this. And I thought, boy, howdy. There's a lot of people that God spoke to and God speaks to, and you, you basically have to take the whole New Testament out of there because that's what it was about. It was about us becoming the body of Christ. So 
that His Holy Spirit would move on the inside of us and we would not be our own anymore but, but bought with a price and, and so that He could communicate to us. All throughout the Bible, God communicated to people outside of His written word. Now, here's the key. If what you heard God say to you doesn't line up to the written word, it wasn't the Lord. That's the litmus test. It's kind of like this. Hey, you know, the word of God says, um, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says this, whatever you ask in my name, I shall do, right? That's, that's the general basis of the scripture. Well, somebody could take that and ask something unbiblical. How many you know God would not do that? I remember a, a, a situation one time and there was, a, there was a couple, and it, it had been long, long ago. So rather than do any kind of correcting, I just sat there in bewilderment as I listened to their reasoning. They proceeded to tell me years ago that they were both married to other people and that they were both at a marriage conference. Now, this is you know, probably some 30-something years ago, 35, 40 years ago. This was an older couple. And they said they were there and they both saw each other and the Lord told them, that is your husband, that is your wife. And he said, so you know what? Over some time, we divorced our spouses and we got married. And I thought, what? Is, it, is this real life? Huh? And like I said, knowing the people, I was like, any correction or rebuke or anything like that, I don't think would have went. So I just, I just sat there looking at them confused like this. And I went, oh, all right. And people can, can say God says things. But how do you know? <laughs> the Bible says that you ought to be the husband of one wife, right? And I understand divorce and remarriage and, and all of that and all can get kind of strange. But I can tell you one thing. If everything is, is, is the way it should be, and there are some ramifications and parameters for divorce, but if everything is the way it should be, the Lord himself is not going to say, hey, that married woman over there is going to be your wife. Hey, that married man over there is going to be. That is not the Lord speaking to you. It might be a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, number three, the privilege of meeting together is just that. It's a privilege. It's not the thing that we do. Catch this. How much time do I have? A little time. It's not the thing that we do to be a Christian. So let me say this again. The privilege of meeting together is just that. It's a privilege. This morning is a privilege. It's a privilege for me to be with you today. I don't want to squander it. I don't want to waste it. It's not the thing that we do to be a Christian, meeting together. It's not a prerequisite to salvation or a mandatory penance post-salvation that we need to pay. Gathering together as the body of Christ, I believe, is a gift and one that God's word says we ought to partake in. For many of us, we don't have to work very hard to imagine why people might not have, uh, have been in, in the habit of gathering with other believers. In fact, the word church, I've come to realize, might cause an instant reaction 
for us or someone that we know. Here's a report that I read about. It's a 2001 report. The American membership in houses of worship, 2001, the American membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, talking about 2020, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. So let me tell you what this means. For the first time in the past 80 years, Christians who come to a local church to worship are the minority. For the first time in 80 years, Christians, people who call themselves Christians, who actually come to a local body, a local church to worship, are the minority. You this morning are the minority. There are more claimed Christians not in church worshiping this morning than are in church this morning worshiping. More. You are the minority. And we, we have a good crowd this morning. But if we went and we pulled the role of everybody that says this is your church, I guarantee you there's more than half not here this morning. And that's the regular for us. We, we don't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs all week. Part of our job as pastors and as staff is how do we build the kingdom? How do we get people engaged in the body of Christ again? And we don't dwell on one specific person or another specific person, so please don't think that we're, you know, we're, we're targeting anybody or anything like that. But we look at the whole. And I will tell you without fail, every other week, there is a new, there, there's, there's a constant core that are, are pretty regular, they're pretty here, pretty much here, you know who you are. But then after that, there is literally 200 people that rotate. This week, this 100 will be here. The next week, that 100 will be here. The next week, this 100 will be here. Next week, that 100 will be there. Constant rotation. And we're not, we're not anything different. This is, this is a, a, an American problem. And you say, it's a problem? It's a problem. Because we saw how long extended stays of that affected people on a large scale over COVID. But that still can have the effects. And you say, I'm feeling a little bit judged. I'm feeling a little bit condemned. This is not meant for you to feel that way. That's not what I'm saying. We, we love every single person. We're so happy with, with whoever comes. We're happy to see you when you don't come. So please, I, I, one of the things that I, I, I dislike the most about being a pastor is running into somebody on the day that I was at church and they weren't at church, but then I see them and them, you can see their wheels turning. How many different excuses can I come up with before Pastor Hagen comes all the way? Please do not come up with an excuse. I don't care if you were at home because you drank a case of beer and smoked a joint. Please just greet me like another human being because I am not the one that is going to be standing there talking to you about how you spent your life. I will not be there. 
You know where I am? I'm here in this room talking to you in this moment. But the moment that you, are, that you meet Jesus face to face, I will not be there. But you know what I, where I will be? I'll be in my own place with him face to face. And you know what I'll be responsible for? Not only how I live my life, but I will also be responsible for what I taught and what I preached to you. So this church thing is not a ritual for me. It's not Christian busy work. It's not a way for me to make a living. It's my calling. It's my purpose. It's my place. But I am not the only person. A pastor is not the only person. A few people that that participate in different ministries, they're not the only people. Every single person that calls himself a Christian, that calls himself a born-again man or woman of God, that you, you, are, you are in the kingdom of God, and us meeting together in this place and doing things together in this place is not about some kind of, uh, of, of, of condemnation if you don't. It, it should be looked at as like, I get to go, not I have to go. I can't wait to be there because I know I'm going to get strength. I know I'm going to get encouragement. I know I'm going to get to meet other people. It's not something I'm going just to check off that box and say, I did it. I guess God's happy with me. No, God is happy with you, not because of you. He's happy with you because of what Jesus did for you. Is this all right? I've been a part of the church now. Really, since around 1995, I, you know, I, I kind of count. There were some years there where uh, I got saved, and then we didn't really go, um, and then I started going. Uh, but but I'll, I'll say like 1995. And even though I've encountered, believe me, my fair share of stupidity. Anybody encounter their fair share of stupidity around the church? I've encountered my fair share of heartbreak. But for me, the idea of church, it really brings up beautiful memories of times in the presence of God with the people of God. I can honestly say that. If I try, I mean, I can, I can believe me, we can, I can sit down with you and tell you war stories. And in the same way, the idea of church in someone can bring up really kind of devastating images of abuse and greed and Misuse of power. Full of imperfect humans, the church is destined to be messy. And yet Hebrews reminds us that gathering together as a church is important. It is still a place where you can be stirred up to love and goodness. Listen, don't stay in an abusive church environment. That's altogether different. But also, don't give up on church altogether. Sometimes the best place to heal your church hurt is with a church that shows you a more loving way to follow Christ. I once told a guy, young guy this. It was during our, our youth hunt. It was back when I was here before. I was a young, young teenager, and so I just said, I said, man, I said, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, uh, I want to be in the ministry. I said, well, that's great. I said, 
you know, if that's what you desire and that's what you want to be. I said, that's great. I said, um, one thing I'll tell you about growing up in the ministry, and I don't know why I said it, it just came to me. It's like the Holy Spirit told me to say it. He said, going to be in the ministry, you have to find you a pastor to learn under. And And the way that you do that is you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. I said, because... It's, it, unfortunately, it's so cutthroat out there that trying to find a pastor to pastor you in that way is like jumping in the ocean and try, trying to find the shark that won't bite you. That's how, if you want to know some more stories, that's how sad it is out there. They're out there. They're great pastors. I'm, I've, I know some great pastors. But then I've heard some stories that would... That would I'm not even going to tell them them here because they're terrible. And I can see why people would shy away from that. I can see where people are hurt. I can't tell you how many people had come to our church in Magnolia. They were hurt. They would tell me these stories. I'd go, what? They did what? They said what? And there was such a spirit of control, pastoral control in that area that I remember having members that would get upset with me if I wouldn't go to someone's house to correct them on stuff. And I say, um, I'm not the Lord. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't have that place in their life. Now, if they came to me and they want to talk to me, that's one thing. Or if they were openly and actively hurting someone in our church, yes, that's, that's under my authority. But I, they don't go to our church and they don't, but they would be like, you need to go talk to them. I'm like, no, I don't. Well, why not? You're a pastor in this town. You got authority. I said, not that kind of authority. That, didn't, that, that idea didn't get there because of the people. That, I get, that idea got there because there were ministers in that town that went around acting as if they could control every single person. That's called a cult leader. Come on. No, 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 no. You serve God for you and how God has shown you to serve him. Not because I can stand up here and put you under some kind of authoritative control. That's no good. That's no bueno. That's why we've gotten to the place that we're at. Because people go, hey, I'm kind of tired of a man controlling me. Men were never meant to control men. Amen? But when we're born again, and Jesus lives on the inside of our heart. It's our responsibility to find out how God has made us and how God wants us to operate in his church. And then when we're all operating together in the places that we're supposed to be in, there's no control because the Holy Spirit is the one leading and guiding us into truth. Here's the other thing. Nowhere in the Bible does, you say the, does it say that the Holy Spirit is going to lasso you and drag you. I think it's funny. There's a, there's, a, there's a meme out there. You know the footprints in the sand thing? Where the, the poem, where there's, you know, two sets of footprints and all of a sudden there's one. And it says, Lord, why is there just one set of footprints? It said, because that's when I carried you, you know? It's beautiful. But then there's another one. It says, what's that line in the sand? It says, oh, that's where I had to drag you. Right? And it's funny, yeah, and all that. But, you know, that's not true. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and guide us. Not to yank and pull and push. 
I never forget Rusty Martin said this, and it was something, one of those little things that he said, and it just stuck with me forever. He says, you got to watch out. He said, because if the devil can't hold you back from doing what God's called you to do, he'll push you too far. And that's all he said, but then all of a sudden I began to think about that, and I began to think about the times I'm feeling pushed and I'm feeling manipulated, and I'm feeling like I don't have a choice, you know, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's not a pusher. He's a leader. He's a guide. And if you get under any kind of leadership, man, woman, or otherwise, that is a pusher, they're a manipulative person, not a leader, not a guide. In the church, we're not to push and pull and wrestle and manipulate anybody. We're here to love people. We're here to help people find where they are supposed to serve God, how they're supposed to serve God, and encourage each other in love and good works. Stir each other up for love and good works. Amen? I, okay, will you guys let me uh, finish this up? Um, I think I'm going to skip this section here. But I think I'm going to end with this one. Number five. I'll skip four. It was okay. It went all that great. We have a lot of preconceived notions when it comes to church, don't we? Everybody's got their idea of church. I do. We have expectations and ideas about what it should look like, how it should say, serve us, and what we get out of the experience. But it's important to compare and reconcile what we think church should look like with what the Bible reveals to us about church. The New Testament church, an example of church, is categorized really just in a few things. And I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but I'll give them to you. Here's the thing. When you go through the scripture, this is what categorizes the New Testament church. Number one, reading of scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. Number two, worship. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs together. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Colossians 3, 6. Prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. And there's, there's, a bunch, there's a bunch of scriptures about prayer. Communion and baptism. How many of you know those are the two things that, that Jesus told us to continue to do? Right? He said, continue to take communion. Every time you do it, remember what I've done for you. And then also, baptize people in water. Right? And the last thing is stirring one another up to love and to good deeds. So those things there, script, reading of scripture, worshiping, prayer, communion, baptism, and stirring each other up to good deeds. That's it. That's why we church. It isn't a place where we come to consume. It's a place where we come to communion. It isn't a place that should satisfy us, by, uh, but one that helps sanctify us. We go to church and we are the church. Church is not confined to a building, nor does it have to be formal, liturgical, casual, or over or under a certain number of people. There are many ways to gather together, but it is the gathering that is the most important. There's a lot of room between the goalposts for different methods of church programming and systems. There might be times when being a part of a large congregation with a lot of programs is the best place for you to gather and grow. For others, a home church with a few trusted people might be the safe place uh, you need to strengthen your faith. 
I wrote a few things, and this is why I wanted to get to this end. Because I feel like most people in here, um, if not all, would not fall in this category. But I think it's something that needs to be said. So I'm just going to say some things. It's time for believers to believe in the power of the local church again. It's time for believers to stop criticizing her and start becoming who you're called to be in her. And I'm saying her because how many of you know she is the bride of Christ? The church is. Regardless of what you think about her, she is Jesus' bride. And I don't know about you, Although there's not many, I know all of my wife's shortcomings. I know all of her imperfections. And I love her to the point where I would lay down my life for her. But if you came along pointing out all of her flaws, condemning her and smearing her, me and you are going to have a big problem. And all the men say, amen. I stand with the church, no matter her imperfections. I'm here not to overlook the mistakes of the church and prayerfully. I want to try and correct and guide through scripture the church to be in a healthier place. But I refuse to jump on the critic ship. I will not be found a critic of Jesus' bride, but a member of that body in good standing and in my place, operating to the best of my ability. How about you? It's very popular to criticize the church today. And I will be the first one to tell you she is imperfect. But she is Jesus' bride. So watch who you're talking about. Because if I don't take it kindly, anybody, I don't care if they're right. You could say something that's one of her imperfections that's right. The next thing that's coming out of my mouth is watch your mouth. Say something else. It's not your place. That's between me and her. And the same with Jesus' church, his bride, that's between him and them. And if you think you've got it all figured out so well, then close your mouth, put away your keyboard, and step up and begin to help lead and guide the church into what she's supposed to be. Because you will never criticize her into what she's supposed to be. So, my big question to you this morning is why do you church? I church, this is my answer. You have to answer for yourself. I church because along with Jesus Christ, the church, the local body, saved my life. And it helped guide me where I am today. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus and the local church. That's why I'm here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, 
That's why my wife can tell you, my kids can tell me, there's pretty much nothing that the church couldn't ask me to do that I wouldn't do. Because I believe in it. Some of you might be raised in it and you've taken it for granted. But take it from somebody who wasn't. It saved my life. The people in it that serve God, some of you, it changed my life. And I'll never give up on the church. And I understand a lot of the things that we're talking about isn't necessarily what's in this church, but it is, in what, it is the mindset that's in, in society right now. But I'm here to tell you, the church will be the way Jesus says it will be when he comes back. It will be spotless, wrinkleless. The only question is, will you be found in that number or not? I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.